Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the PitcherList Podcast Network. You can find our show at Dugout Study Hall on the Bird app and email us at dugoutstudyhall at gmail.com. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we will look into Cy Young contenders digging into the underlying stats, which should matter most, and who should win. We will also talk about some pitchers who may have failed their ADP in a very shoehorn segment and wrap up talking about Shohei Otani. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? Hey, Matt. How's it going today for you? Uh, not too bad. I uh, have the day off from work, so uh, we are actually recording on a Thursday, which is unheard of. So uh, this will be the most up-to-date content we've ever had <laughs> yeah, uh, going into a Friday seen. episode. Yeah, never before seen. Um, you may hear the lawnmower in the background. I apologize to everybody. That's one of those midday things that I guess happens. Um, it's been a little chaotic in my house. We we had a, a painter come in and, and do some work basically in every room of our home. So it's been a, a week and a half of shuffling furniture from one side of a room to another, to the middle, to a, a you know mm-hmm. those games where you have the numbers in the wrong order and you have to slide them around to get them in the right order and you can never yeah. win until you pry the numbers off. Well, it was kind of like that, only I couldn't pry the numbers off. So that uh, that project ended today. That's fantastic. Uh, so eh, exciting things, chaotic things, beginning of the school year, my my kids starting school again. But uh, it's all good chaos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm pro-chaos in general. Uh, so <laughs> That's an odd thing for a stats guy to want, the chaos. Is that because you can rely on the numbers to help you navigate it while the rest of us just suffer? No, no, I, I just like chaos. I think it's fun. Oh, okay. um, the thing about things being predictable is that a lot of people can predict them, and then they kind of just resolve themselves, and it becomes in- uninteresting. Um, I, I think this is like not even necessarily an opinion that I've like developed since I realized that I, I liked math or whatever. Um, this is just like a if you don't know what to expect, you know, it, it's more fun to pay attention. Uh, hmm. So, yeah, that's I it. suppose that's a fair way of looking at it. I never really thought of it that way. Um, I will try and keep that in mind the next time that my house is in complete upheaval for a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a positive outlook. (laughs) Um, All right, I want to start with our bell ringer, and we're going to cheat a little bit. Uh, It's not going to be the first time this episode that I'm going to cheat a little bit. Uh, We are going to use our numbers of the week segment for our bell ringer, and I'm not even going to give you numbers for numbers of the week. Um, So everybody just stay with me. Uh, what I would like to talk about here, and I think this is a good thing to start the show with, especially given our topic of kind of looking at and evaluating Cy Young candidates and maybe who should win and based on what, um, what numbers should we be using? So before we talk about individual people and their individual performances, uh, when I was coming up and growing up as a baseball fan um, and the Cy Young race would come around every year, there was so much emphasis on things like ERA and wins especially. A 20-game winner was an automatic Cy Young candidate. Um, I think we in the industry overall – and I loosely say we and include myself in that, um, have have shifted away from that. Obviously, we have a lot more uh, stat cast information and, and it's more stats driven. Um, so with all of that extra information, knowing where we've been coming from and and kind of at a point now where we're trying to decide who should win, 
what are the numbers that you think should really drive that discussion? What are the metrics that help us know who's really been better, not necessarily who's been luckier or who's had a, mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a couple of breaks go their way or have numbers that look really good but aren't really? So where should we be looking if we're trying to make the determination which pitcher has actually been the best in either the American or National League? Okay, so this is the lamest answer I can possibly give for this Ooh, question. goody. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that I, I basically start with something like F-War, which I believe in better than B-War. Like, I like the Fangraphs model, for, especially for pitchers, a whole lot better because the baseball reference model is very much just kind of like ERA, but, like, turned into wins. Um, okay, can we pause for just one second and talk briefly, just in case people uh, listening don't really understand the nuance difference there between F-War and B-War? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that that's that's what I think is kind of actually really interesting about this time of year is that you can kind of pick and choose a whole lot of different things to prove your point, which eh, not not always a bad thing, but not a great thing either. Yeah, right. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. So Fangraphs War is much more built around something like FIP, um, and and I say that intentionally. It's something like FIP that is determining mm-hmm. their their wins by replacement. It's not like one to one or anything, but like when you think about the model, FIP tries to tell you how good someone should have been based off of a couple inputs, um, and in the process ends up normalizing for parks pretty well, which is mm. part of the reason it doesn't perfectly predict like ERA. But like for example, I'm going to pick out someone who's like totally not in the race, but like okay. has not been terrible. Uh, it's Wade Miley. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Wade Miley has a 309 ERA. He's got estimators that are much less friendly to him. And he's got a 3.2 F war. He is much higher in the B war standings. And I just okay. don't really believe that his ERA is representative of how good he should have been. And that's kind of like the, the argument between the two. F war tries to like measure how good, productive how valuable your performance should have been when you kind of like cut out some flukiness um and bwar is just like okay what was your era or you know like what were the results more results driven rather than like input driven yeah so if you want to imagine like a fictional like disney character pitcher who's like 12 years old and throws 70 miles an hour on his best day who like just gives up a fly ball 312 feet to right field that is caught every single time. Like now how valuable would that guy actually be? (laughs) (laughs) Right. If that was predictable and repeatable as a skill. (laughs) No, if it's just plot armor, you know, if if it's not real, right. If it's just like, because the Disney writers made him really lucky over and over again and not because he actually was doing a repeatable skill. Right. Is that guy actually good? Questionable. Um, He's not striking anyone out. He's not walking anyone. He's just, generating five balls repeatedly it seems to right field how valuable is that guy is a very fun question to imagine um i would say i have my doubts because i don't know that we're living in a disney movie and i would right. think that this is impossible um and something more akin to that point of view that this doesn't seem like it's real is this guy actually responsible for how good his era has been that's the mindset that i want to take to this prod uh, problem more often than not um that's not to say that's how everyone thinks. If you're the sort right. of person who just sees ERE close to two and you're like, yep, this dude has been great and we should reward him. I actually don't hate that either. 
um i just wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page when we have those discussions you know like i want someone else to be able to tell me i want to reward the dude who had a great season not the dude who had some great underlining numbers but like the end of the day is like i find like the number of things that you're not responsible for that determine your era to be important and if you don't you know cool so my actual answer is i'm going to start with something that's like f4 i'll go to those leaderboards and you know i'm willing to kind of like put my thumb on the scale here and there in a couple different directions for a couple different reasons and sort through some things if i think that someone's f4 isn't fully deserved well you know yeah and there are reasons for that we talk about all this like line drives and defense and parks and blah 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 but essentially that's that's where i'd want to start and um you know that's that's kind of my belief about things all right so like a a sort by that column and then the top within the top 10 you probably have your your cy young winner you would think yeah for various reasons i would assume so yeah i would say if you just like start there and then do your own research fun phrase these days um Okay, so tell me why, just just for, I mean, I think a lot of people listening understand why, but let's just make sure we get it on the record. Why would just using straight ERA and wins be a bad way to go? Um, can, can, I, uh, can I wind back the clock here really quickly? Uh, but there was definitely a day where it was like wins and then ERA, right? I, I've heard about those days. I was never mm-hmm. like uh, aware of them, but like that was a thing, right? Like, yeah, yes. Especially, I, I listen. I, I especially remember wins. I think, to be fair, I think that especially with each of those when they were really prevalent, it was when there weren't many people doing it. So, for example, when there were two twenty game winners in in the league, that was felt like uh, quite an accomplishment when nobody else was was coming close, or when somebody was a sub two ERA. And the rest of the league was, you know, hovering around three. Anything that felt like an outlier positive performance, like like two standard deviations from the mean, I think would get a lot of attention. And, and the different eras of baseball kind of have dictated which of those stats were more of that outlier performance. So I, I don't think it was just in a vacuum. It was also at a time where stat cast stuff wasn't as, as prevalent or accessible or valued. Um, so I think there's a lot that goes into that narrative, but yes, there definitely was much more of an emphasis. I mean, I remember as a kid, every year it was, who's going to win 20 games? Who's going to win 20 games? Who's going to win 20 games? Those are the good pitchers. Um, and, and it's not like somebody who wins 20 games is a bad pitcher, right? You, you mm-hmm. pretty much do have to be a, a good pitcher to win games, but I think that what we've come around to and kind of what I was hoping you would extrapolate on just a little bit is just why wins is not an accurate measurement especially when you're talking about nuancing two players who are both deserving it wins may not be the best way to kind of break that tie. I mean, it, it's, it should be pretty obvious why it's dumb and bad. If you try to think about it. Uh, yeah. I also think though, if you're going the other way and you're like, okay, beginning of the year, who's going to win 20 games. Uh, that's an interesting discussion, actually. Like I, I don't hate that. I just don't like it as a measure of success. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like for example, uh, right now there are 12 qualified starting pitchers um who have a sub three era um and that's way more than uh, by the way any projection model would project at the beginning of the year because Mm -hmm. that's just how models work so a lot of people are doing really well um right now uh do you know who the mlb current wins leader is 
I know. I have absolutely no idea. None it's whatsoever. Julio Arias. Uh, he has a 2.99 ERA. He has 18 wins. He could totally win two more games. Sure. And then he'd have a 21 season and a sub three ERA. Um, I think that in 2005 or whatever, there's your NL or your NL uh, Cy Young winner. Potentially. Could be. I mean, obviously, depending upon what the rest of the league has done. But I mean, obvi- yeah, those those were much larger uh, factors at that right. time. I mean, you don't have to uh, like t- even 2005. I think things were starting to move like like in the 90s for sure. Yeah. Whereas uh, and we'll get we're going to spend so much time on this conversation. So I figure we may as well kind of just jump in. Um, sure, we his, can totally move on, and, and just yeah. just so that we have like a, a nice line in the sand of what we're really talking about. It's it's who's kind of um, in the the discussion, who the candidates for Cy Young, and who probably should win based on again what we're talking about. Where wins and ERA are factors. They're not. It's not like they don't exist, but it's not like a column sort kind of a thing whereas maybe there is another stat like f4 where you can really column sort and get a better idea of at least narrowing it down to a handful of guys and then you make your own argument like you were saying before i think i think maybe that's a little bit lost in in this era of data and stats driven uh, discussion is that there is still a lot of art to statistical analysis and conclusions and arguments to be made. You know, you can look at numbers in a lot of different ways and you can use different numbers to support your story. And like you were saying, if if one thing matters more to you personally uh, as a philosophy, then it's going to impact the way you're analyzing what those stats say. And, and maybe that's something that's been a little bit lost and we can get into here. But that's that's really what we're talking about here. Who are the, the Cy Young candidates and really who's been the the quote-unquote best pitcher, uh, how we get there, and and then uh, obviously ways that you could disagree with that. Yeah, I I think that as long as your argument isn't exclusively on one thing to the point that you're excluding good information. Right, um, or I overemphasizing think, bad information, right? Yeah, that's another way to put it. Uh, but yeah, I think that's that's all that I care for. Um, I know that people, like, like I think Nick is uh, like an ERA guy. Like just mm-hmm. wants to see the guy who had, you know, that that's more of like the BUR version of things. Right, if you want right. to like, but it's know, not because Nick ERA is ignorant to a different way. He knows why he believes that. And that's what matters, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that as we kind of talk about some more of these guys today and in the future, um, it's worth talking about which guys should show up at the top of your like relative lists depending on the things you care about and not just kind of harping on my or your guys right um there are some really interesting guys by the way at the top of these lists that will show up in different ways that uh i think are really fun even if they're not deserved winners and that's kind of like a kind of a last chaos thought here is that i am exceptionally happy for some of the people who are within striking distance or Mm -hmm. maybe who have kind of fallen off recently but are still kind of like having great seasons because like who would have thought um, There's definitely a lot of fun, I think, this year in who is is there. And, and I don't know. I think th- there's going to be a lot of prop bets being paid off here big time for some people who took chances because there's a lot of – what makes it fun is that there's just people that you wouldn't ever have probably put in your top 10 mm-hmm, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season. And that's, that, that's fun because the story and the narrative is fun and you want to root for the guy, especially if it's a fun player or a good person or at least seemingly a good person you want to root for or a guy on your team that always makes it super fun. Um, and so I, I really, I'm excited for this and, and without maybe further ado, which is kind of what we do is ado. That's like our thing, but without, without excessive further ado, <laughs> we can start talking about actual contenders and, and kind of their candidacies.
Yeah. All right. So I think a good place to start here. Um, I actually just want to like pull up. Um, hey, I'm not giving them any actual um like free advertising sports book. So I'm not telling you which one this <laughs> is. Um, no free ads. Um, but I'm gonna go ahead and uh, pull up um some of these, and we're gonna talk through some of the leaders. So in the AL side, um, Robbie Ray and Garrett Cole are both uh, minus one ten to win. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially tied and they're trying to take your money for you to play it to bet so if you, if you <laughs> bet on both of them you will lose money very funny mm-hmm. um, the other people listed are Lance Lynn at plus 1500 Carlos Rodon at plus 5000 and Shohei Otani at plus 20,000 simply there so again they can take your money uh, that's a that's a two horse race um, the NL side I think is far more interesting um, there are nine pitchers that you can put money down on uh, on the sports book mm. Uh, Scherzer is at plus 125. Corbin Burns is at plus 150. So those are, you know, your realistic uh, front runners. Uh, Walker Buehler at plus 350 is not out of it. You know, people could have a bad end of the year and he could totally win. Then you got some more like stance guys. Again, we're at this point when you get to these numbers, like plus 2000, you got Zach Wheeler, 2500, Brandon Woodruff, 5000, Kevin Gossman. 20,000 Julio Arias. <laughs> there he is. Um, <laughs> Jacob deGrom at 25,000 and Wade Miley also at 25,000. So you can 000. bet on Wade Miley at this point to win the Cy Young. Uh, you shouldn't, but you could. I, yeah, I'm not making that recommendation. I'm just saying you can. <laughs> it is There's a pathway to doing that. It's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I think it kind of goes without saying that now is probably not the time you should have been betting on who's going to win the Cy Young, right? Because we're close to the end. It, it, any but if but somebody who put let's say a hundred bucks down on on Robbie Ray at the beginning of the year, right? And if he wins, I, I, I'd love to know what those odds were then. I'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot to go look that up, but uh, that's a bet that's going to pay off, right? Is it easy enough for you to just see that? I'm going to keep uh, talking while you do some searching. <laughs> I, I am going to search that, but I, I okay. want to more importantly say that anyone who is putting money down. 100 bucks down in particular on Robbie Ray to win the Scion on April 1st um, either has an infinite amount of money and would not benefit from doing that or needs to have their wallet taken away from them. Um, <laughs> right. It was maybe they're a not a traffic. wise investment at the time, but boy, if somebody did that, and I'm sure somebody did that, that is going to uh, potentially pay off big time. I, again, I'm curious as to what those, those actual odds were earlier in yeah, the year. I'm, it's much much harder to find those old ones than you think they would it would be. But uh, all right, so then let's just yeah. do this. Let's not spend too much airtime on it, but let's ask the audience and the listeners. Somebody find it, and and when this gets tweeted out, give us the answer in the in the uh, replies. Uh, I'm very curious as to anyway. The the point being that if you're at the point now where you're trying to put money down, I mean, if you if you're excited to put down two hundred bucks to win ten okay i guess but um the time for this sort of thing is earlier and to your point and kind of to the point i think we're going to be talking about here for a little bit it's obviously the reason that there's more money to be made doing it earlier is that it's far harder to predict the outcome uh, at the beginning of the season than it is two weeks from the end of it anyway that is a pretty obvious point that i just belabored so my apologies Uh, so yeah. let's just so we we we've got the Vegas odds right, and obviously they have things going into their formulas and their calculations. What are what are the the baseball numbers saying? And and you can start with any one of these guys that you want to start with. Yeah, so let's actually do this on the AL side because I think the conversation is a little bit easier to wrap there. 
and okay. a little bit less complicated, right? So we got two guys that are like co-favorites right now in Robbie Ray and Garrett Cole. Um, if you're actually trying to lay down odds to figure out who's going to win, you're not predicting who's been a better pitcher, right? You're not laying out an opinion about who deserves it. You're betting based off of prior information about what people vote on. Um, right. So, That's what I mean by like, we're doing it now. Yeah. It's it's a different exercise. Right. Yeah. The, the Predicting goodness it got them the into the candidacy. It's kind of like making playoffs, right? In fantasy baseball. You're, you're, the good teams generally make the playoffs, but it's not always the best team that wins the playoffs because of the way it works, right? It's, I think there's a parallel there. So we can have Close the conversation enough, yeah. about like who was a better pitcher this year, and maybe that should be who wins, who should win the Cy Young, but that doesn't mean that's going to be the person who wins it because of the way Cy Young voting occurs, right? That's the point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's definitely some politics. Um you can very much expect that Garrett Cole's um, still hysterical, I should say, non-answer of whether or not he was using spider tack earlier in the year is probably <laughs> going to affect a couple of ballots. If you have not re-listened to that clip, um, there's a nice like 10 second or so pause of silence at some point before he like gives his non-answer mm-hmm. um, that will make you think that you paused it. But no, it's just him jaw open. Um, so... Yeah, Anyways, going through I, all I, the versions, what's going to get me in trouble? What's going to get me in trouble? How do I answer this question? Never mind, I'm just not gonna. Yeah. Um. So yeah, do you remember those like two weeks where people thought that like Garrett Cole's contract was going to be like the biggest flop in baseball history because well, like he, he was couldn't pitch really bad for a couple of starts. He was, and it yeah. was bad timing given that it was right after he was not allowed to use cement, uh, to throw baseballs. Um. um I do think a cement-covered baseball would be pretty hard to hit, i got to say. <laughs> We're going to just start throwing shot puts at the hitters. Ooh, better have control over that. Anyway, yeah. let's let's get back oh. to those metrics. Uh, so if we're talking about Cole versus Ray, what are the things you're going to look at? If you're if you're trying to do a, a an apolitical, uh, removing the human element from the voting, which we all know exists, uh, how would you weigh those two candidacies, and who would you pick to come out on top? Okay, so I will say um, I would not eliminate those things, and I I would probably vote for Robbie Ray just because I want Robbie Ray to sure. win. Um, yeah, and that I is can understand that. That's another thing is like I know who I think is the better pitcher. That doesn't always mean that I like follow my own advice. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I I have no. It's fine. Listen, I think the the only reason that things in life are fun is because of the human element. If everything just shook out the way the computer says it should, it wouldn't be fun. To your point earlier. Right. In terms of like chaos is interesting. The chaos of baseball is what makes it interesting. Otherwise, it would just be what we would would know what the outcome before it started. Why bother playing the games? But I'm still going to push you back to this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's remove that. I will. Let's remove that chaos and try and and, uh, nail down. Let's say uh, that that you're, you're trying to measure again, like pitcher A versus pitcher B. You have no idea who's who. How do you go uh, about trying to figure out which one is the most deserving? Yeah. So, again, I said earlier I'd start with F4 and kind of, like, work myself back from there. Um, the AL leader in F4, uh, by the tiniest hair, is Caracol. Uh He's put up a, a 275 ERA, which looks very deserved no matter what version of, you know, like, estimators you prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, for example, his FIP is, like, a 2.63. And that's only based off of home runs, strikeouts, and walks. His XFIP used fly ball rate instead of home runs. 
It's a 2.87. Same ballpark. His XERA, which is based off of StatCast, 2.89. Same ballpark. He's been a deserved sub-3 ERA pitcher. And he has, you know, if you, I want to just say it, it will matter to someone. He has won 15 games for a team that is trying to make the playoffs. And mm-hmm. those are things that I don't always know how to weigh. But he's been pretty roundly, I'd say, like, the best pitcher in the American League. Um, the guy who is a fraction behind him is Nathan Evaldi. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea how this has happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, Evaldi has a 279 FIP, by the way. That's why he's uh, at 5.3. Um, Should we start the campaign now? Avaldi robbed. <laughs> um, I, I I will do it just for fun. If you can uh, finish above Cole, I, I would love to carry that banner. <laughs> I, I don't particularly believe that his FIP is deserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been the fact that he has not given up home runs that makes his FIP so good. But, you know, there there are some other things that like hurt him. Like, for example, Avaldi's got like a bad left on base rate, which has f- put his ERA up from where his home runs would have been. But, like, that's a product of some other things he does, like not striking a ton of guys out. Now, he hasn't walked right, a ton right, of people, right, right. Um, and that's been part of it. But, yeah, yeah I, I don't, I don't I, trust I just want to be on record. Him. I'm just kidding about Avaldi being considered for the Cy Young. He should not be. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I, I think it's very <laughs> funny, though, that, like, you can explain why he's second. Now, Robbie Ray, um, who, surprisingly, this year is not walking people like crazy, uh, two... Uh, Two tenths of a walk per nine, uh, more than Cole. That is not that much. Uh, he has given very, home runs. Very unRobbie Ray like. I mean, that was yeah. his Achilles heel his entire career, right? Yeah, it's almost like um, leaving Arizona and working with a pitching staff that was not in Arizona helped him out. Um, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe there's yeah. something to that. <laughs> maybe think about how good Zach Gowan would be if he <laughs> if he left Arizona. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you buy into the idea that that Robbie Ray got good because he left. So I, I'm going to ask you a quick question, and then I, I do want to get back on track. If we're thinking about next year, Robbie Ray, do we think that that these numbers support the idea that he's kind of found a new way to be Robbie Ray, or that this is oh, yeah. just like that that one off season? So we can we can trust in Robbie Ray moving forward. Oh yeah, um, things like walk rate it becomes stable really quickly. He's always been good at striking people out. He's made distinct changes to how he pitches. You know, try to put the baseball inside the strike zone. He's got mm-hmm. nasty stuff. It's hard to hit. It makes subtle sense. Um, the reason people have been like freaking out about preseason adjustments and mechanical changes from Robbie Ray over the past years is because the idea of him being not like a walk machine is tantalizing because right. Duh. Everything else was great. Yeah. Yeah. Last night he uh, gave up four hits, did not walk anyone, and struck out 13 batters um, yeah. over seven innings. Because um, against the Orioles, whatever. Um, but yeah, like between him good. and Jordan I mean, listen, Romano, the, like the Orioles are still well, a major league baseball team with oh, a bunch of guys who are very good. good at baseball. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, their offense is pretty good. Um, yeah. It's full of competent people and it's improving actually. Yeah. Uh, the roster they're putting out right now is pretty quality overall. Um, like they're not an embarrassment. I am happy to watch their batting highlights. every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and also um, like, I believe it was in Camden and Camden is uh wind warm. No, 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 no. I got this mixed up. This was against the Rays. Not uh, the not the Orioles? No, so yes, Robbie Ray just uh just uh mowing down his own kind, if you will. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I got this mixed up. The uh That's okay. Yeah, the um 
the Yankees are playing the Rays last night. Uh, yeah. Cole was not pitching, best of my knowledge. We were, yeah, we're confusing Blue Jays and Yankees and their opponents left and right. It's okay. It's all right. Dang, though. The, East. The, the points remain the same, right? So yeah, for sure. Um, uh, if you, it sounds to me, it sounds to me like what I'm hearing is if you look at the numbers, if I were to say player A, player B, Cole would probably be the the winner in with very small advantages in those areas statistically. But Ray has has kind of a narrative that he certainly has overcome more. He doesn't yeah. have the spider tack against him. Yeah. Uh, so if you were going to put your money on, if we, let's bring all that other stuff that I took off the table back on. It sounds to me like Ray probably, if he's if his numbers are close enough, plus the narrative, plus people kind of liking to to reward the you know the good feel good story. It, it, I, it sounds to me like Ray's going to be the one who kind of takes this home. I I would think so. A last kind of number to explain this all. Uh, Robbie Ray has a 90% left on base rate. That is way above what you'd expect someone to sustain. He's not, by estimators, a sub-3 ERA pitcher. He's a low-3 ERA pitcher. And and guess what? You draft those really high on draft day. Um, He has some fluky stuff that makes him the top of the AL and Cy Young rankings, but he's not bad. He's yeah. not so even anybody like, though just that pro- good. He's excellent. That projects him for a sub three ERA next year. That was probably taking, in, is, is, is taking that that lob, um, or not taking that lob into account. That's a that's an insanely yeah, high yeah. number. Yeah, no, it totally is. Uh, um, yeah, so he's got, he's got a four um four point zero um, and that's after last night's start. So <laughs> I guess it's I guess it's like two nights ago when we publish this tomorrow. But still, um, and he's yeah, not right, pitched right. again since then. <laughs> Right, his previous start when you're listening to this, probably. Um, Okay, so that's the American League, where it's kind of a two-horse race. Let's shift over to the National League, where things are a little bit different. Um, And there's a lot more of that narrative going on. It's a little harder, maybe, to pin down the numbers. Let's start to kind of sort through that. And by let's, I mean you, please. Um, I want to talk... Uh, really briefly about a guy who's actually off the board entirely um, and was definitely considered by some, especially by some like fanatics in the, the PL plus discord um, to be the guy who deserves to win it. And that's uh, Adam Wainwright. Mm. Um, Adam <laughs> Wainwright is not that good. He is pretty good, but he's not that, that good. Well, he's, it's also a tough year for, I, I maybe this is a little bit of that Robbie Ray thing, right? You really want to root for the guy who has kind of come. Not, I don't know where isn't fair. Adam Wainwright's been a very good pitcher, but he's had his up and ups and downs uh, later in his career. He hasn't been this pitcher, and it's just it's a nice story to see somebody kind of reclaim it and come out of nowhere. And especially if you planted your flag on that guy early in the season, as he's going to have a season, he's going to have a season, right? Um, you're going to be gung ho about him getting all the accolades. Oh yeah, well, we talk a lot about uh, Cardinals pitchers, and we have in the previous years. Like not even us, just like in the community about yeah, like right, why right. they have overperformed. And part of it is that um, it should be illegal to play baseball in St. Louis uh, before the sun goes all the way down, um, because <laughs> the sight lines are just like a war crime. Um, and also they have a pretty good defense there in St. Louis. Oh, and also he faces incredibly weak competition in the NL Central. Like, and even when the sight lines are fine, the the park is not the most forgiving either, right? For right for hitters, all of the above. There are just right. so many different factors that come together to make it an 
ideal place to be a professional baseball player 81 games a year uh, as long as you're not swinging a bat yeah yeah, yeah. uh so all that said um i i don't tend to believe that the case for him was all that strong to begin with but i am so happy for him as mm-hmm. a guy who uh is in this discussion at 40 and his teams in the wild card race he'll get some votes he'll be on some ballots uh but i just kind of want to say like there are reasons why people like him can sustain high eras that aren't even like left on base rate or other things it's just like these are the traditional you don't have to wrap your head around luck factors that boost someone's credentials and those do get docked a little bit in these sorts of things but if you look at wainwright's case he's like 12th in uh major league baseball among pitchers uh in f and he's got a pretty standard 79 percent left on base rate um he's been quite lucky in terms of home runs and definitely his park has helped with that to a degree but even then his fip his xfip his xera are all high threes and his era is like 2.80 right now yeah, yeah. it's not real it's <laughs> luck <laughs> yeah and that's fine but don't vote for him um, the actual people who are at the front of the pack, um, I feel like in the past week or so, the Scherzer's going to win it train has really taken off. Yeah. The discussion previous to that had Wainwright in it um, because, well, Adam Wainwright has won 16 games. Let's be honest. That's part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, aside from him, you had Walker Bueller, who is among the leaders. Uh, Zach Wheeler, who has thrown 195 innings of 2.86 era if you're just like more innings low era has to be really valuable you're on the right track he yeah. is second in major league baseball among picture pitchers in f4 um first though is a guy and i i don't know how i forgot that he was just the best pitcher in baseball uh <laughs> is corbin burns mm-hmm. uh corbin burns is a half win ahead of wheeler at 7-1 um but more importantly, the things that he has done are like almost underrated by his ERA, are underrated by his results because he does play in you know, Milwaukee, uh, which yeah. is a rather hitter-friendly park. Let's let's remind you. Um, but yeah, he has imagine what a, he could do in St. Louis. Yeah, he has a one point five FIP this year. Yeah, um, FIP isn't perfect. Blah blah blah. But he has given up point three home runs per nine in that imperfect ballpark. Um. He has struck out an insane number of people. He has been insanely difficult to hit. His left on base rate is a little bit low, but actually a lot of the guys towards the top kind of have that issue. It's kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah, no, his his mod, his like model numbers, if you will, are better than ZRA. He's just been absolutely fantastic. And what that tells me, the thing that's important to me, is that I can guarantee then that his success is deserved. I can feel so much better about his case if mm-hmm. I know that he is doing things like striking a ton of guys out now again i do think that the home run numbers are a little bit strange and if you're doing f4 he's going to come out ahead of some people like the favorite max scherzer Mm -hmm. who's given up more than one home run per nine Um, and that's why his fip is much higher now the thing is you can ask yourself like are those home runs fully deserved? Well, actually, home runs for pitchers are really, really wonky, and I don't like FIP all that much for a lot of like forward-looking reasons. Um, and I think the case between the two is very, very close. Uh, so when I talk about like you start with F4 and then you do your homework from there, right, right. Um, I do think that it's pretty easy to kind of take that 1.5 FIP and like pick it apart a little bit and say, okay, 
he probably has been more like a six-win pitcher than a seven-win pitcher. You probably can't credit him for all of those home runs. And the next place you'd go probably is, you know, go see what someone's, like, hard-hit per PA numbers are rather than, like, you know, like, go look at, like, the things that are more stable in terms of, like, how well someone's actually, like, kept people from hitting the ball hard. Uh, Burns is just stupidly in those two. He is totally suppressing home runs, like, as a skill. It's not just that they haven't gone out. Um, So... I don't know. I waffle a lot here. Uh, I think that if I did have a vote, I probably would have vote Burns. Um, mm-hmm. I bet. Ask me again in five minutes and might say that I'd vote Scherzer <laughs> or Wheeler. Uh, Can I, I I ask you this? Uh, and I, it's actually kind of abandoning a little bit of the numbers and more uh, focusing on that human element and the chaos that we're talking about. If you have a guy, two guys whose numbers are relatively similar, uh, fighting for the Cy Young, one of them was really great at the beginning of the season or in the middle of the season and has kind of come back to earth a little bit and somebody who's just on fire to end the season. How much do you think recency bias plays into our discussions? Uh, so somebody who's really good right now when we're making that decision versus somebody who was maybe red hot a few months ago and is a little less in our consciousness. Oh, like the fact that um, Max Scherzer has been able to like up his like odds tremendously in like three weeks is like the easiest signifier possible that it's extremely extremely reliant on like most recent results um you know how much like information there is about baseball that like even relatively smart people have to take in like you can just like totally forget like that someone like bryce harper exists just like accidentally almost when it comes to just talking (laughs) about baseball like i i will frequently like doing trivia in our trivia channel and like we'd be like looking for people who have like hit 30 home runs and have 10 steals and be like yep i'm all out of good baseball players and someone else will just guess bryce harper and like oh yeah that guy who might win the mvp (laughs) i don't think he will but he the he's yeah like i think tatis deserves it in the nl um but like he's that close and it's easy to like accidentally forget someone's name like that once in a while. We just have so much information that we're constantly dealing with. So like, of course we're going to weigh the easily accessible information. The most recent performances way more than we should. Like the gap between like a seven inning, 13 strikeout four hit game for Robbie Ray and whatever Garrett Cole's going to do next. Isn't probably going to be that much different in terms of actual like, value end of year number f1 numbers right but like if you're talking about leaving an impression and showing voters like how good you are you're like you're gonna look at that and you're like dang that dude just sliced up the team with the best record in the american league yeah Um, right right yeah i I mean it felt to me like that's that's a factor um and that, that 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 matters um but I also know that people who are voting are savvy and smart baseball people too, and and you know well, can can think they're okay. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, Alexander. <laughs> they at the very least they understand the moving parts. Whether they choose to incorporate them or not, I suppose is is up to them. And sometimes there's agendas involved in all of that as well. I, I get that. Um, but I guess it's it's really does kind of come down to a lot of times like. What is your heart telling you when it, when it comes time to put a name on a piece of paper? What is your heart telling you? I, I I almost feel like this is the same thing that happens to a lot of us on draft day in our fantasy leagues, right? Like, okay, I've got to decide between these three guys, and they're all kind of similar. Who do I pick? Who gets on my team? 
uh, it's probably going to be the one you really want on your team for whatever reason, not necessarily the one who's by numbers the best or had the highest war in the previous season. You know, you want to be able to root for your guys. Yeah, I I feel like um, there's definitely also like a certain amount of like not just love, but also like I think people like to be contrarian. Um, sure. I think yeah. people want to just like be the a troll little factor. bit different. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it doesn't have to be trolly, right? Well, there's definitely I mean, is that, but I see what you mean. They stand out. Maybe they want to stand be, yeah. out. Right, right. And I, I think you know, like that's why we see people repeating for like MVP awards or Cy Young awards less often than they could is because there's like voter fatigue. Um, sure. And you know, like there's also like the things about just like who gets to play on teams that are more visible. And and I think that that's why it's important to pay mind to things like um, wins actually as a way for like us to keep track of, um, you know, who's getting the most visibility. Uh, The guys who have fewer wins might not necessarily deserve your vote, but it might be our responsibility to like make their case because someone else isn't having it made to them. Uh Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, Market definitely plays into it. Um, all right. Any last thoughts you have on on this specific topic before we move into my next super shoehorned uh, segment? I can't imagine you shoehorning anything ever. <laughs> uh, thank you, Alex, for the sarcastic faux support. Um, all right. Let's move into our pass fail segment. And when I say that this is a stretch, I mean like yoga master moves that you can't replicate without ripping something probably um i want to talk a little bit about uh pitchers on the flip side of this cy young conversation who have quote unquote failed their adp yes that's how i am fitting this into this segment um mostly it's because i think this is an important discussion to have a little bit as a a follow-up to what we talked about last week with hitters um I think the conversation's a little bit different. And pitching this year has been a little bit more solid, um, and we can get into the, some of those details. But that's that's how I've chosen to make this work in our pass fail segment. Who's which pitchers have failed their ADPs? Go. Um, I don't plan on forgiving you for this. This is this is awful. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Um, no, yeah, it's I, okay. It's pretty bad, but whatever. It, it, it we're we're going to talk about something I think is important to talk about, and all. It's fine. I'm uh, I'm actually. Uh, interested in the question it's very related to this so i Mm -hmm. I will actually give a grade to something just not what you think i'm grading um yeah so we talked a lot last week about um how many different hitters uh fell short of expectations and um i was like turning that around and looking at the pitching side of things and i i felt as though um a lot of the discussion we typically have about pitching being random and pitchers being a poor investment at the top of your draft board mm-hmm. uh to be worth re-examining to a degree um every every year we know that there are some people who have very very big error bars um they haven't had a long track record of performance we're worried that it might all come unraveled their prices typically reflect that to a degree but because of the way a lot of people view the game that they are playing to be much more about trying to hit the people who can hit highest and not necessarily about finding the safest middle of the road, finished sixth place investments. Right. We end up really enamored with people who don't have long track records who come with really big risk. Mm -hmm. Pitchers are definitely a lot of those people, but those people are hitters as well. Um, I don't 
think it's totally unfair to say that like the way that our mindset worked when we we're trying to figure out where to place Christian Yelich uh, this past Cody off Bellinger. season. Exactly. Those sort of like very obvious looking back. Of course they didn't pan out guys, even like Francisco Lindor. Um, you know, like there was obviously a, a floor and people were trying to draft for ceiling and it didn't work out. We do the same thing in pitching. And I was just trying to get a feel for like whether or not that was more or less prevalent among pitchers. So I'm going to go through um, the top 15 pitchers by ADP. And we're going to kind of like score that a little bit and see how we feel about that. So DeGrom, is he a bust? No, right? I, I, I That I think is very format dependent. Um, yeah. If you drafted him in a season long roto, the, 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 I, I don't know what he gave you while he was healthy plus whatever you put in there probably is okay I think you'd probably still sign up for it I don't know if you would sign up for that at his cost his ADP cost on draft day I, I would think that's say a that tough he, one he probably fell short of repaying value but you're almost guaranteed that at the top I would yeah. say that all told he's kind of like a you don't hate it right he's like middle tier right sure. Garrett Cole is probably success um, yep. Shane Pieber is probably a bust Trevor yep. Bauer is a bust Yep. Darvish, middle of the pack there, right? Yeah. He's had ups, he has had downs, right? I would put him somewhere in the mid tier. He's been healthy. Giolito, probably put him somewhere in the mid tier. Maybe a little bit higher Fair. than that. I don't know. Yeah. He, he came with a lot of risk. He didn't fully repay it, but he hasn't been yeah. awful. Bueller's been a hard win. Hard Nola's win, been yeah. in the middle. Scherzer's been a win. Castillo been has frustrating, but sure. Yeah. Scherzer's yeah, been yeah. a win. Yep. Yeah. I think actually the thing about Nola is we've always known that he was frustrating. Uh, um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But he was expensive. Yeah, I guess he was. Um, mind you, the eighth pitcher off the board, once you're starting to get to around pick 20 or so, you know, the if you're going to convert that to dollars out of 216 and a 12-team league, like, he is not nearly as expensive as, um, for example, Shane Bieber was, even though he's only five pitchers yeah, later. True. And pitchers went for a premium this year, too, so that drove his price up a little bit. But anyway, for... For what you could have gotten there on offense in that spot, I think he probably, if that's how you define a bust, could I have done better with a different player there? And then I would say he's like a a, a slight bust. Anyway, we don't have to belabor that point. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's the sort of guys who I'm fitting in the middle where like they didn't repay their value, but like who does at the top end? I um, guess it's just my my mind gets stuck in opportunity cost there. It's not just them in a vacuum. It's also who did I not take? Okay, this is actually a really interesting discussion. And something I looked into last year is uh, basically you take like the rolling average cost based off of draft positions. Like, so what's the average payout for the guys who are drafted like five before or five after or so? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like the guys who you invest $35, $40 in, their average payout back is substantially less than that. Because, of course, we're going to be wrong at the top. But those are still going to be, on average, the picks where the best players go. Right. We know we're going to be wrong. When you buy expensive players, you know they're not mostly going to return on investment. It's just who else are you going to spend the money on? Um, who else are you going to draft that high? So right. like, there's always going to be disappointments at the bottom, and there's always going to be huge payouts who come between like 75 and 100. But there are but those players at the top that I do think are at the top because they're more of a sure thing. Mm -hmm. And if you had invested there instead of grabbing Aranola because you were afraid you weren't going to get a second ace... Or something like that. Anyway, that, we can elaborate that more on that maybe yeah, as a, a season should. roundup kind we of a thing. should. Yeah. But I, the idea of here is like, are there more of those or fewer of those in the pitching side? So right. then Scherzer went ninth. We were worried about injury a little bit. Uh, he's been awesome. Castillo yep. had a terrible start to the year. 
figured it out when the weather got better, it seems. I don't know what the mm. deal was. Um, but yeah, he's been an excellent second half. Flaherty's been hurt. Um, Woodruff has been awesome. Kershaw's been good when healthy, so I put him somewhere in the middle. Snell's been probably a net negative, but even more frustrating because he's been great lately, and I think he's hurt again. And then Glasnow was great until he was hurt. Yeah. So, like, you've got, like, five or six guys there who have been truly awesome. Like, five or six guys who have been truly in the middle and five or six guys who have been true busts. That's a pretty bell curve looking thing yeah, um, yeah. when we looked at that for hitters last week we actually had a pretty similar result the number of guys who were truly awesome and seemed to have repaid and then some their draft value is only a handful a lot of guys fell somewhere in the middle and a couple of guys truly busted um so i think it, it merits more investigation but more importantly i think that we need to make sure that we're not being really really deeply revisionist about how we go about these things you don't draft someone in the first round expecting that they're going to return top 10 value you draft someone in the first round because you think they have the best odds of returning top 10 value sure fair enough yeah um, and that's actually by the way why all the projection systems like give everyone like a 3-3 era at best a 3-3 era like that's not a top 10 pitcher um like, like it's, that's it's nearly impossible like, to tell at that stage of a, of a uh, not a season because it hasn't started yet, but at that stage of drafting and prep and all that, it's it's impossible to tell which of those pitchers is going to outperform that three three. Right, that makes right. sense. Well, yeah, yeah, and that, and that's the sort of thing where is it, as long as you kind of just go into this clear eyed, how well has Lucas Giolito done? Um, if you compare his actual results to his projections. I'm sure they're not too, too far off. Like, Giolito has a, a 3.77 ERA, which is much worse than I think some of us would want. But he's also 20th in uh, pitcher war. And, you know, the strikeouts have been fine. He's walked maybe a few more batters than you want. He's given him plenty more homework runs than you'd want. He's been a little bit unlucky by left on base rate. But, like, at the same time, if you've been on your staff, the difference between what you paid for him on draft day and how good he's been has been, you know in like the five to ten dollar range unless you just dramatically overpaid for him mm -hmm. um you know he has probably performed a little worse on average than the average sixth best pitcher off the board would perform but not by so much that you're like really upset if you drafted him you probably aren't winning the nfbc overall but who is yeah, and just one yeah, person like, <laughs> <laughs> it can yeah, only be one person i mean i guess that's that's part of this too is and we've we've said this uh, numerous times that it, all of this analysis and everything we're talking about needs to also be customized to your settings if you're talking about whether a pitcher has been a bust in a weekly points league versus a season long roto league those nuances do matter they just do um, and what you were able to do for replacement in a roto league or how many weeks did Degrom win you before he wasn't there, uh, you know, that, that may have been enough to get you into the playoffs and, and yeah, it stinks. You don't have them, but, uh, you can make those adjustments. I think that that's very important. And again, that other piece too, of like season long fantasy versus maybe more of a daily approach or uh best ball drafts or those, those, uh, overall components, those high stakes and highly competitive, I'm not just trying to win against these other 11 guys. I'm trying to win against 1100 guys. Um, you know, you have to be thinking differently to to win those types of overalls. So it's it, this any advice, any advice that you get is a good starting place. 
Uh, and then you really have to have the savvy to be able to apply that to your own league situation, context, the people you're playing against, and your rules. Okay, are you ready for just an incredible stat here? Always. Do you want to know what ATC's projected ERA for Lucas Giolito was this year? I am waiting. It's a three seven one. He is only out. He has only been worse than his expected projected ERA from ATC by six hundredths of a run. That's about one run this season, maybe less than that. Um, he could totally have a couple solid starts to finish the year and beat his projected ERA. We dramatically overestimate how good people can be expected to be and that's yeah. all it is is like you expect the people at the top to hit their 75th plus percentile outcome because you think you're gonna win your league you're and where they shuffle from there is really just a matter of the human element of of yeah. baseball yeah so if you draft a giolito like and you're like panicking think he's a big bust like he just didn't hit you got a 17 in blackjack you didn't get a yeah. 20 but you also didn't get a you didn't bust yeah, right, 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 right. You know, that's fair. I think that is, and that's maybe that's a mindset and approach thing that we should yep. be taking into our, our drafts as well so that we're not angry and throwing things at the wall midseason yeah. when somebody's not been just amazing. I think that this, we, we draft for upside and then we, we convince ourselves that upside is coming and then anything that falls short of that is we set ourselves up for this immense disappointment. Well, I think the other thing is if everyone on your team hits their projection, um, well... Actually, I bet if everyone on your team hits your projection, you do better than you'd expect. You probably do pretty well. But like, if everyone in the league that you're in has all of their players hit their projections, you probably finish sixth on average, right? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, so or like, the, I mean, the difference between the first place and the twelfth place would be very small because the yeah. distribution of talent on yeah. draft day is pretty even usually. Yeah, yeah. that makes so sense. I I think the sort of thing is you know. If you're setting your sights on winning your league, which I think people should do, like, why right. go the That's entire year just it. expecting yourself to be middle of the pack? Like, you're allowed to be a little annoyed, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, listen, if you if you make it into the playoffs in, in fourth place versus first place, maybe there's some advantage to being in first place. But you're in the playoffs, and, and anything can happen in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. um, finishing second in Roto uh, doesn't get you anything. You know, so again, it's there's Maybe a lot going on. Uh, well, okay, fine. Yeah, it depends upon how your your payouts are, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's not a playoff system where kind of wild card things can happen. Um, all right, I would like to just give five minutes here at the end um, to give you your due and to ask you a couple of important questions because as I'm seeing, like way too early rankings for next year and all those sorts of pieces coming out, which are a lot of fun. I'm not, I'm not, uh, de Oh uh, yeah. I'm, I'm super I'm excited for? for them. Um, I'm not, de not degrading. What's, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying bad things about them. Um, but I do have a, a big question about, about this person, but I want to give you a little space here to take your almost end of the season victory lap on Otani, because I do remember you talking about him at the beginning of the year and how much value he had and how much he was worth. And, um, you were really on that. If if he was going to be able to put together being an offensive threat and a pitching threat at the same time, uh, barring injury and being able to, to do that, that he would be incredibly valuable. And he has done that, and he has been incredibly valuable. So go ahead, take your take your uh, Alexander modest um, uh, victory lap on Otani. There's a report out today that his arm is sore, and he might miss his next start. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna do what I always do. I'm gonna be sad. <laughs> he, he made it this far, and the angels aren't going oh, anywhere. Man. 
So, I mean, I, I even if he doesn't make his last, even if he plays no more baseball this year, yeah, right. I, it's, it, at this point, I don't think it really tarnishes what he's accomplished. I don't think that makes you wrong on Otani. Oh yeah. So the unnamed no free ad sports book um, that I'm mentioning here has him minus seven thousand to win the AL MVP. That means that in, toward, in order to win $100, you would have to bet $7,000. <laughs> that is the level of confidence that we collectively have that he is the MVP at this point. Um, if you're like still campaigning for Vlad Guerrero, I, I think you're just like massively, massively, massively underestimating just how incredible everything he has done this year has been. And... And that's not to take away from Vlad. It's unfortunate for Vlad that this is the year that Otani put it together, because otherwise he probably would be the shoe-in. And and you know what? I think think that's even bigger than that, right? What Vlad did this year is like, and is still doing, and can finish the year, is just incredible. What Salvador Perez, he just hit his 45th home run, by the way, um, about an hour ago. Um, (laughs) Just insane. Those are... Those are seasons that we are going to think about forever. And then someone's going to do the footnote there. It's like, oh, by the way, that was the year that Otani won MVP anyway. Yeah, like, right. Um, sometimes your MVP winner is um, someone who's just kind of like the best of a bunch of dudes. Um, I think we might have a bit of that on the uh, National League side. Um, but the gap between Otani and everybody else this year on the AL side in terms of value is just so incredible. And I, I think it deserves not like as much a victory lap or anything like that as it does like a reevaluation of like um, what's possible and how excited we can be about this sort of stuff. Because, sure. you know, like Tatis is going to come to town uh, next year and I'm going to want to see him. And, you know, that that's one thing. But like, I'm willing to like reschedule my life around being able to potentially see a Shohei Otani like pitching start where he yeah. would be able to lead off. Like that is just outside of everything we talk about. Um, there are not that many people who are willing to do those sorts of things for a baseball player. Period. Right. Even in like the yeah. our fandom universe, like um, you might want to see a team where they come through town or whatever. But like maybe you really want to see Jacob Degrom or Garrett Cole start. But I, I think we have to really appreciate how incredible this is, not just for like baseball or fantasy baseball achievement, but like as like a a cultural thing. Um, yeah. This is something that is crossing over really, really, really excitingly. And um, I just cannot wait to see what's possible. And I can't wait to see what he follows this up with. Yeah. I'm, I mean, he's an absolutely electrifying player. He seems to be a really good dude, too. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's easy to root for, so easy to root for. And again, it's not anything against what other players have accomplished, but uh, to be that valuable on both sides of the baseball is, is amazing. Now, I do want to ask you this question, and I want your, your input on this. How in the world do you rank Shohei Otani in a vacuum? Because I'm gonna, I, I, if, you, if you play on ESPN, you get him as one player, who plays on both sides, right? But when he hits mm-hmm. and pitches in the same game, you have to pick. That can be a little frustrating. In a weekly yeah. league, you obvious it's it's not quite so bad in ESPN. In a weekly league, though, you have to decide whether he's gonna you're gonna be getting his pitching stats or his hitting stats. You're probably erring on the side of hitting most often, so you're not getting those pitching performances. Um, so you really only have one player in a weekly league. You don't have both. Um, and then there are the leagues where he's two different players, right? So if you're not ranking Shohei Otani 
the pitcher and Shohei Otani the batter separately, you're not getting that player in one draft position. So uh, as I'm looking at all of these things, and, and Otani is ranked really, really uh, high as in terms of like just sheer value, I, I think he should be. Um, how do you take into account all of those different factors and moving parts when you're deciding when and where to draft Otani next year? Okay, I, I can give a pretty quick rundown of roughly where I would draft him in all those different uh, formats. In uh, in ESPN Daily um, format, has the most value, right? I think he's the number one player in the board. Um, if you're in an ESPN Weekly format where you can flex him back and forth, um, you'll start him as a pitcher, I think, for two start weeks. Right. But not always. You actually get a little bit more value than you'd think because uh, you will uh, get to slot him in based on your team need. Uh, you know, if you're in a head-to-head format, particularly, you can, like, game plan around your opponent. So I think it's, like, you take his, like, batter projected value and then you add, like, another five or six bucks. Um, and I think his, like, batter value, you know, we can soft pencil him in for, like, 35-20 next year, right? Maybe he goes back over 40 or whatever. Um, you know, I expect that the angels are going to be a little better than they were this year. And I'm going to just cringe at saying that because everyone always says that and then it doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, I think he's, I think he's going to have a, a great year again next year. And um, I think overall what you get out of value about that is like, you know, somewhere in the top 20 overall picks uh, as a hitter alone, I think he's a top 20 overall pick. So ESPN daily where you can only choose one or the other for a week or ESPN weekly, weekly where you only choose one or the other. I think you bump him up to about 10th. Um, if you're drafting him as a pitcher only, um, I think that he's somewhere in the top 100. I think he's probably pitcher 25 or so, um, is where I'd take him just cause I, his, uh, his injury risk there is a little bit high mm-hmm. and there's a lot of other guys who I, I think, um, you'd, you'd like maybe like have less of a whip hit. He's been a little bit erratic. He's been mm-hmm. better as the years go on. I think he will kind of like it all together, but you know. Um, I think that you'll end up being able to grab him as a pitcher only in Yahoo somewhere around uh, wherever SP 25 is going. Yeah. I guess it may be around pick 75. We'll see. Um, but yeah, he's, he's done good. A thing that I think people underrate is that he's actually been just okay as a hitter when he pitches. He only has three home runs mm. this year as a pitcher. Um, and that makes sense. It's hard to focus on two things. It's hard to be sure. good at both things and your, your hands are going to sting or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Right. So I think he probably uh, kind of takes it about 90% sometimes whenever he's hitting on his pitching days. Do you think that they maybe. did that for the, the novelty of it that he's hitting and pitching on the same day? Because a lot of times he would, he'll, he'll take the next day off. Um, or he's is that because he needs, think, he but... needs a, a full day off of not doing anything and they don't want to lose his bat twice a week. Cause I almost feel like from a fantasy point of view, and, and please don't think that I'm, I'm forgetting about the fact that these are human beings. I'm not. From a fantasy point of view, I think you'd almost you you'd almost definitely rather have him not hit when he pitches and then hit the next day, instead of hitting and pitching on the same day and then taking the next day off because you are only getting ninety percent one day and zero percent the next instead of zero percent and then a hundred percent. He hasn't been taking the next day off as often as you think, though. No, um, he does it okay. sometimes, but he very yeah. frequently will just be back into the lineup the next day, um, especially if it's a night game. Uh, so he's done this thing where he'll like play six or seven games in one week and also pitch so if you only have him as a hitter like you don't lose any value um it's incredible it's yeah that's true if you only have him as a hitter you're not losing any offensive value really yeah yeah no he's had some weeks where like they'll play an nl team so like he's out of your lineup then 
Uh, right. That's with right. any DH. We also overrate, I think, in a lot of formats, um, the potential um, like lost value for someone being DH only. I think in some formats, though, he could. He did I mean, start like a game or two in the outfield, right? So some okay, he got are very shifted generous. into the outfield, like I think like five or six times this year. I don't remember where yeah. we're at. I don't know if he's already to ten. He might be to ten. Um, God, I don't keep track of that because I don't have enough Yahoo leagues where I like roster. Yeah, right. Crazy, right, right, right. crazy. Um, but yeah, just I I think that anyone who um is taking a victory lap on Otani needs to make sure that they're not like rewarding their own self, like. You could not have seen this version of him coming um, (laughs) based off of last year. But you could have seen a version of him where he was 80% of this good and was still the most valuable fantasy asset. Yeah. Like, that was was a column I wrote in early 2020, um, is that he does not have to be his best self to be the best fantasy asset in uh, the ESPN Perfect Leagues. Um, He, as a hitter alone, arguably has been, like, a top five asset this year it's incredible mm-hmm. um i i think i think we're gonna end up with like salvador perez being like the fantasy mvp or something like that um because catchers are bleak um but right. like no he's incredible I, absolutely yeah. most definitely all right well that is going to bring us to the end of this episode thanks for being a part of it as always alexander and if you could just let the people know where they could find us well they can find you on twitter at the corked mat I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.